A good Monday morning to you. Welcome to this March 15th edition of Real Talk. Ryan Jesperson with you alongside our technical producer, Samuel G. Brooks. The uh, the Ides of March edition, if we will. Yeah. You want to take us into that and explain? I'm sure that you've got something well, uh, locked and loaded. No. Well, I mean, actually, uh, I think somebody on the somebody on the chatterbox referenced the Ides of March, and that's that's when it uh, triggered it. Uh, that's a Shakespearean reference. It's from uh, it's from Julius Caesar. Beware the Ides of March it means March fifteenth, middle of the month. Middle of the month. Are you a are you a daylight savings time like proponent or a cr- cr- critic or uh, did, <laughs> or, or, did or tired person? Were like you, everybody were you else? thrown off? Are you do you feel it for real today? I you know I felt it I think a little bit more when I woke up this morning. Um, it's it's you know for for my job I have to get up at six which felt like five so like that was that was a bit extreme. Uh, but you know it's a. Uh, it uh, you kind of roll with it. I'm I'm one of those people that uh, I think there's a lot of people that use daylight savings every year to complain about the yes. existence of daylight savings. That's and it. yeah, and and I'm I'm trying not to be that person. I remember hearing like oftentimes people would make the argument they would say like talk to agriculture producers, talk to people that you know, talk to dairy farmers. You know, you'll see it throws off the cows. Mm. It throws off the cows off their milking schedule, people would say. And we need to take those concerns more seriously. And and to a certain degree, you know, different provincial governments across this great country have have dabbled in, in serious debate around whether or not we should continue to observe daylight saving time. That is correct. The thing I don't want to end up in is a situation where. Uh, like every province subscribes to something different because that just sounds confusing. Then to everyone's me. Saskatchewan. Then everyone's Saskatchewan. Yeah, you I know. mean Saskatchewan Saskatchewanians have have a tough enough time twice a year staying on pace with the rest of the country as it is. Yeah. Well, I mean, just in the context of time zones. Yeah. You know, Saskatchewan <laughs> has a tough time walking in step with the rest of the country a whole lot more than twice a year, Sam. Just kidding, Saskatchewan, and good morning to you. We're just having a little fun on this Monday morning. It's going to be a great show. In just a moment, we're going to talk to Katie Way, who's checking in from Brooklyn. Um, Katie is a staff writer that covers health and wellness for Vice, and she's got a great new piece that caught our attention. Um, if, the, if there's little ones watching right now with you, if there's li- just earmuffs for just a second, because I'm just going to read the headline of Katie Way's piece at vice.com. Here's why everyone is acting. And uh, I'll put this up here so you can even see it, Sam Brooks. I'll put it up on my screen. This at vice.com. Here's why everyone is acting like an asshole lately. She, Katie Way finds in her piece, there's actually a scientific explanation for why we are all at each other's throats. So we're going to get into that in a few minutes. Coming up at the top of the hour, if you're watching or listening live, if you're listening to the podcast, coming up in about 25 minutes, we'll check in with the past president. She was the founding president of the United Conservative Party in Alberta. Erica Brutz will join us. Uh, going to talk about a leadership review that's uh, scheduled to come up at the party's 2022 AGM. Why 2022? What's the deal? We'll get into that. Plus, we'll, we'll broaden the conversation, talk a bit about provincial politics, maybe talk about some of the polling lately. Polls lately have not been friendly to Premier Jason Kenney or to Alberta's United Conservatives, but does it matter? Do they care? At this point, do they care? Uh, the answer is probably not, but they're it's on their radar, I'm sure. Uh, are they sweating it? Is Alberta's premier up at night staring at the ceiling, wondering what on earth he's going to do to save his political career? I doubt it. Maybe we'll talk about some federal politics, too, as everybody's everybody's talking about the federal election coming up, Sam. 
the federal election that hasn't yet been called. That hasn't yet been called, but everybody everyone's just expects. assuming. Yeah. Everyone's, everyone's just going, you know, like some people that I've been talking to just candidly and casually are saying they're still not ruling out a spring election. There's some some folks are saying, you know what, May, June, like wouldn't be surprised at all. So what does this mean for political parties and how are they gearing up for that and mobilizing and ready to go once the writ drops? Plus, the results of our get real question of the week last week, just about a thousand of you answered the question uh, between ninety nine and a thousand of you, which is actually amazing if you consider how many people were, were were committed to going through that process to determine whether or not you know things like pineapple belong on pizza, whether or not raisins are acceptable, whether or not you know dogs wearing pants should have pants that go over all four legs or just the hind two legs. We have those results, and if you're a Patreon supporter of ours, you already have. The full top line report, about 13 or 14 pages, I think it is this week. This is a big one. Getting into all the data. You will not miss uh, anything if you support us on Patreon. You have that document in front of you, but we're going to run through it. And sh- I mean, should we take a real quick look, for example, like should we sh- should we get into like just out, out of the gates here? Maybe how, how real talkers were feeling about raisins. Should we give them a little sneak peek? Look give at this. A Almost- sneak peek. Yeah. Over 900 of you chimed in on this, ladies and gentlemen, once and for all, 76% of respondents, an overwhelming number of respondents, three in four, more than three in four, recognize raisins to be an amazing and delicious innovation of human agriculture. So that's just a sneak peek of some of the some of the, the, the real talk that we're going to get into today. Plus, it's Monday, which means positive reflections presented by Kubi Energy. We're going to get your week started off right with some amazing images, a great story that will restore your faith in humanity if you've lost even a sliver of it uh, and, and all of that to come on the show today. A reminder that this show is proudly presented each and every day by the team at Bitcoin Well. You know, don't have questions about crypto. It may be very basic stuff like what is Bitcoin? Can someone please under, you know explain this to me in a way that that I can start to begin to kind of sort of understand, or maybe you're way up here in your understanding and you've got some specific questions about, well, I'm not even up there, so I don't know what your specific questions might be, but that's the point. The team at Bitcoin Well does. They're proudly owned and operating in Edmonton, Alberta. Uh, They're going public this year. It's going to be a big year for Bitcoin Well. You can find them under the sponsors page at ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. So this piece caught my attention. The second that I saw it filed out of Brooklyn, New York by Katie Way, a health and wellness journalist for Vice. Here's why everyone's acting like an asshole lately. We're thrilled that Katie's made time to talk to us this morning. Uh, kicking off a week's worth of Real Talk. Uh, here she is, Katie. Welcome to the show and thanks for being with us. Katie, how are you? You know, she's coming in a little choppy. Okay, here. And maybe we, on mute. Yeah, Sam's going okay, we'll to get this, this figured out. It. Uh, there you go. We're going to get it all figured out. We'll get Katie on the line so we can have this conversation uh, in a way, of course, that will do justice to it. Have you been experiencing this, Real Talkers? Is this something that that you've been experiencing? You know, whether it's whether it's maybe a, a comment that that somebody's leaving on on a social media post of yours, or, or or maybe it's a text exchange with a good friend of yours that this didn't go the way that you expected. Are, are you feeling it yourself? Maybe what what people are calling this COVID fatigue. Is that something that's manifested itself or or been a reality in your life? If so, what is it that's prompting it? 
How are you discovering the tools to deal with it? How are you, how are you, you know, blowing off? How are you finding your stress relief, so to speak? How, how are you, as, as our little guy Wyatt says, five years old, how are you getting rid of your yayas? How are you getting that energy out and keeping the energy as positive as possible? These are the types of questions that we're going to have for Katie. And, and I'm curious to know what put the story on her radar in the first place. Uh, but it's amazing for me to check in and see what the real talkers are saying on our live chat every morning. Uh, you know, Penny, for example, in, in talking about managing, you know, where people are at, how people are treating each other. Penny says I deactivated and then reactivated my Twitter account this weekend. Says Twitter has just been a cesspool lately. That from Katie. Uh, others of you, I'm sure, are going to have other, uh, you know, Lorraine, for example, chiming in on daylight savings time says I, I want my hour back. I hate daylight savings time. I want my hour back, says Lorraine. She wants her hour back. OK, so you could let us know how you're feeling. Uh, this is interesting. Heidi says that Sam, you and I both sound like it's the Monday after daylight savings says not a diss, but I feel that I wonder what that means. We're sounding kind of sort of slow. Are we sounding, are we sounding a little sluggish? A little yeah, groggy, like I wonder. Maybe, maybe that's like, the case. Maybe that's that what Monday she's voice, getting at. Yeah. Wytrium says had to work yesterday. Oof. Had to work on the Sunday with a super early start. The, the time change was rough. And then and then said it, it makes it worse that that work put out a full page of health and safety information around daylight saving time, but refuses to take any proactive action. Laurel says this isn't just a Shakespeare reference. The Ides of March, they assassinated Julius Caesar for real today, not just a Shakespeare reference. Uh, Penny says with daylight savings, we have to bend to the Americans to a certain extent as we go live now to an American, but we won't put daylight savings time on her. Katie Wade doesn't she doesn't have to answer to, about daylight savings time. That's not her problem. How are you? Welcome to the show. Sorry. No. We're I'm good. good. Thank you for having me. We're good. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. D does the does the time change mess with you at all? Do you feel it? Oh yeah. I, I would say it it hit me pretty hard um on, on Sunday morning. But you know, I'm trying to adjust, trying to stay calm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were, I actually happened to be up. I think it was, it must've been three o'clock, right? Isn't that when it ticks over? And, uh, you know, just, uh, all of a sudden it's four and of it's course like, you were. Oof, oof, you just feel it. Um, Katie loved your piece at vice.com. Here's why everyone's acting like an asshole lately. I love what you get into. I love the people you talked about it. And, and, and I know we're going to get you to take us into that and what you discovered, what you determined. But how did this get on your radar in the first place? Was this something you were observing around you personally? You know, I, I think unfortunately it was something I was observing a little bit in myself um, and also seeing happen to people around me. You know, I think as I talk about in the piece, um, there's sort of, it's, it's very possible to hit a wall uh, where you just get get a little bit less generous, let's say. And that's something that I was kind of feeling as winter was dragging on. And now, like you said, mid-March, not, not the best time of the year. Um, so. And I think that there's like, as you write, you know, there's there's been also a, a bit of a what is it? Is it a paradox is it a dichotomy? Am I getting caught up in, in, in the pages of a thesaurus or trying to trying to find the right words? I don't know. But but there have been, as you say, astonishing displays of generosity and solidarity and compassion. You know, you say we've 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 linked proverbial arms with strangers and taken part in mutual aid drives and GoFundMe boosts. 
And then at the same time, you recognize not every day can be our best day. It's like, you know, as they'd say in the Big Lebowski, strikes and gutters, right? Highs and lows. Right, exactly. You know, and I think it's really great when we can show up for each other and when we can be our best selves. And we've had a lot of opportunities to do that, but it's really hard to be your best self every single day. It's actually not just really hard. It's literally impossible. So yeah, I I think definitely we're sort of reaping the logical end result of trying really hard all the time to be a good person or to follow rules. Um, Eventually, you know, maybe you don't start breaking them, but you do get mad about them. You wrote about you, you, you referenced the work of Ryer Maya Kosov, who who writes about uh, ambient bitchiness, as you put it in your piece, uh, which also I think sounds like and that's an amazing band name. I think I would love to play in a band called Ambient Bitchiness. That'd be amazing. But you, you, you talk about how people are misdirecting anger. Yeah, absolutely. What was it about Maya's writing that really resonated with you about where people are directing their anger? Yeah, well, I think uh, Maya did a really great job of talking about specifically the internet aspect of all of this because that's uh, so much of how we're interacting with other people right now for obvious reasons, especially, you know, people who we don't know very well, people who don't know us very well, who might be all the same drawing assumptions about us um, from social media, which, of course, is going to make you mad because you know in your heart that you're a complex person and that you're more than the things you post online. But at the same time, it's really hard to extend that empathy over to others. So it's, it is a little bit of a, as you were saying before, paradox. <laughs> so when you looked into it and, and the more that, you know, you wrote about it and now I'm sure you've got a bunch of people talking to you about your piece and, and I don't know about you, but but after you write something, you continue to kind of think about it from time to time. Do you see a way out? What do you think? What do you think is the course correction here that can help people shake the funk? I mean, I think just sort of understanding what's happening and understanding that you're not the only person it's happening to and just sort of taking it easy with yourself if you find yourself engaging in coping mechanisms that you know are a little less than ideal and extending that same forgiveness to other people who might not be behaving the way that you would want them to in a perfect world. It's just about kind of knowing what's going on, accepting what's going on and accepting that it's hopefully a temporary state of affairs. Yeah, temporary, right? It's it's, it's interesting when you talk to people, we're, we're kind of all now I mean, I, I sort of saw this past weekend as as at least in my life, looking back on a year ago, March 11th, 12th, 13th of 2020 was right when everything really started to go sideways. And this is kind of the one year anniversary of that. And it's interesting talking to people now that I think are seeing, you know, some light at the end of the tunnel with regards to a vaccine and with regards to some of the things that are bringing them hope. But at the same time, feeling like there's still a long road ahead and. You wonder how people will cope if it if it extends into the two year mark, right? If the summer doesn't open up for everybody. I know your body language just said what so many people are feeling, right? I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> that's another that's another article. <laughs> yeah. 
I know, and I and I don't mean to. I'm like Monday. We should be finding all the positives here and the reasons for encouragement. There is good news on the vaccination front, and there there are some positive signs. But we know that there's still such a long road to recovery. Um, Ashley McCann, who you quoted, talked about this window of tolerance, which I thought was a great insight. Uh, when you heard that for the first time, how did that resonate with you? Is that something that when you even as a journalist, I mean, you're you're putting a piece together, but also you're sometimes applying these things to your own life. Was this the case here? Yeah, absolutely. I add that this whole writing this piece and doing that interview specifically, I was like, okay, thank you for the free therapy. (laughs) Um, Because, yeah, I feel like it really is such an instructive metaphor. And I think, like I was kind of saying before, it's very forgiving and it gives us room to say, like, you know what, this is sort of an internal boundary that rightly or wrongly there is no right or wrong. It's it, This is the situation right now. This is the condition right now. And I can know that. And I can know that the window might be different for me at different times. And here's why I am where I am right now. And I thought that the, the advice that you write about in your piece, and this was like when I'm reading it, um, and reading it thinking, well, number one, I'm like, this has got to be a real talk segment. I'm like, Katie's got to come on the show. That's the first thing I'm thinking. The second thing I'm thinking is coping mechanisms. You know, so many people talk about what theirs is. And for some people, it might be, you know, crocheting. For some people, it might be hitting golf balls or working out. But things like writing an angry letter and then ripping it up instead of sending it or or, or taking a freezing cold shower. I mean, these are types of things that might not have occurred to some people but could be huge in their life if it's something that brings them back to that equilibrium you were talking about. Right, definitely. I mean, I think, you know, kind of at the core of all of those suggestions is just the idea that you have to, you know, like anger or any of those like strong in the moment emotions, you feel like this is how I'm going to be feeling forever. This is what it's always going to be like. And it's just so critical to divert yourself from that kind of war path and do something that just lets you, you know, get it out and remind yourself like, oh, that's, that's not who I am all the time. That's just who I was right then without sort of uh, putting other people's feelings or anything else in, in the way of that release of energy. Yeah. How have you like what what would you say has been your biggest interruption from a year ago over the course of the last year? Like whether it's professional or personal, when you look right now, what would you how would you assess the impact of this year on you? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I would say I have been uh, incredibly lucky. Frankly, I still have a job. I get to do cool interviews for my job. Like this one, um, you know, my, uh, my parents have been okay. My mom, uh, got her second dose of the vaccine. Thank God pretty recently. Um, and I have been able to, I would say, maintain decent touch with a lot of loved ones, obviously not a lot of in-person time, but I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm 26 years old, so I would say the biggest toll has has been social for me which in the grand scheme of things you know is small but at the same time 
kind of sucks. I don't know how many years I'll be fun. <laughs> yeah. So this this definitely would have been one of them. But small, small, all things considered. Yeah. How how is that? Are your parents in New York State as well, Katie, or no? No, they're in uh, Virginia. Oh, in Virginia. So how's that been going? I'm always curious to know. I mean, in in Canada, mm-hmm. if you ask people how the vaccine rollout's going. Um, it, it depends on which province you're talking about. Some provinces are doing all right. Some of them are struggling mm-hmm. a little bit more. Um, if I say, how's it going across the United States? We're talking about like 350 million people, obviously. But but how, how, how would you assess? I mean, it, what, what an interesting time of transition from <laughs> do I need to say any more than from 45 to 46, like from Trump to Biden? And then amid this, you've got, you know, they're trying to get the entire country vaccinated. By the numbers, it looks like, for all intents and purposes, at least on the surface, the U.S. is doing all right with it. How would you assess it? Yeah, uh, I would say that just from anecdotal experience, it's actually been um, a lot better than I was worried about. But, you know, at the same time, I think, like I kind of wrote about in this piece, it's um, a lot of people having to step in for those who are getting left behind. Like it's great that it does seem like if you qualify in a lot of parts of the country, like New York, especially, I feel um, it hasn't been horribly difficult for the people I know personally, the people in my social circle to get vaccines if they qualify. But at the same time, there are people like, elderly people who are not uh, as equipped to deal with a website that crashes frequently or people who don't um, speak English and might have more trouble navigating all the different appointments and things like that. So while it's been heartening that it feels like there is like government follow through for the first time in a long time, there's still also been a lot of, you know, community work, mutual aid work to pick up the slack there as well. So it's heartening that, even if we are being jerks in our personal lives, uh, <laughs> people are still ready to show up for each other where it really counts. So that's that's been a nice thing to see. That's a, a great, nice through line of yeah. this horrible year. Yeah, no kidding. That's a great that's a great angle to take. You know, that's I'm, I'm looking at numbers right now. I mean, these are from. Uh, the Public Health Agency of Canada. So these are, you know, as, as far as with regards to government updates, um, you know, 5.1% of the Canadian population has received at least one dose. One and a half percent of the Canadian population has received two doses. Uh, compare this to numbers. I'll take these numbers from, from NPR. So, you know, for what it's worth, um, more than 107 million doses administered in the U.S., reaching 21% of the American population. That's data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Uh, the U.S. currently administering, you know, almost two and a half million shots a day. So, I mean, those are those are pretty impressive numbers, generally speaking. I mean, if you think of the logistics involved in getting 107 million needles in people's arms, um, I think it's pretty impressive stuff. I think storylines like this are, I don't know about you, but a health and wellness journalist like yourself, um, it's not necessarily your mandate or your job to to make people happy or help people feel encouraged. But, but I would imagine to a certain degree, the way that you perceive your job or your mandate as a wellness reporter, I bet that's evolved a little bit this year. Has it? Oh yeah. Oh my goodness. So much. Um, I did not expect when I took this job 
to be covering um, a pandemic that I was like, I love writing about mental health. Looking forward to that. Uh, but I did not know I would be doing a lot, a lot of, I didn't uh, vaccine. I didn't epidemiologist, you know, uh, so <laughs> definitely um, things have shifted a lot and um, that has been challenging, but it's been, it's been interesting. And I hope the things that I've writing, the things that, that my team has been writing have been helpful to people and informative to people because, you know, everyone this is something that's happening to everyone everyone's going to have an opinion about it and i think it's really important to try to steer people towards facts and uh <laughs> towards ultimately being <laughs> being kind to each other you know and um cutting each other the the sort of slack we all deserve almost everyone <laughs> yeah almost deserves. everyone i think that's very well said uh katie and and totally enjoyed uh not just your piece but the opportunity to chat with you today if i know anything about this audience and as this podcast starts to go out through the day and more and more people hear it I know that more and more people are going to be paying attention. You'll get a lot of new Canadian fans and followers. People are going to be paying attention. What's something you what's something Ooh. you're working on? Can you can you give us a little tease? What's something that you're working on that you'll be publishing at vice.com in the next few days? My gosh, good question. Um so I'm I'm working on a little uh personal essay right now about uh, what to do if if you've kind of discovered that you enjoy being a homebody. Um so I'm I'm hoping that that hits hits the mark uh, with some people how to do that without losing all your friends and perhaps being a jerk, you know, uh, so we'll see. <laughs> I bet you there's a lot of people that have figured out that that actually, as a matter of fact, they're not as much of a social butterfly as they might have thought. People are probably hitting their stride a little bit. Some people staying home. Right. Going to bed turns out there might be something to that. <laughs> Exactly. Who knew? I mean, the people that have been getting eight hours of sleep for like their entire adult lives are like, we've been trying to tell y'all. We've been saying it for yeah. years. We just didn't believe them. Katie Way is a right, health and right, wellness right. Uh, journalist. Uh, you can read her great work at vice.com. Uh, checking in this morning from Brooklyn in the great state of New York. Katie, thank you so much for this. Be well. Thank you for having me. Have yeah. a great rest of the day. Yeah, you too. That was a real pleasure. You can read Katie's work again at Vice. Um, <laughs> have you found, did you find that, I noticed that when uh, Sam Brooks, I, 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 my uh, my eyes wandered over to you as she said that. She's writing a piece on people who may have discovered they like to be a little bit more of a homebody and this warm smile washed across your face as though perhaps she was speaking to you a little bit. Is that the case? I don't know if she was necessarily speaking to me. I think that, you know, I've, I have in a weird kind of way actually learned that I don't mind being at home. And, and, and as you pointed out, like I'm a super, super extroverted social person. Yeah. And, and, you know, the necessity of it was, I, I think one of the things that, I did over the last two years because I've just been home a lot over the last two years is it just like I finally let myself sort of invest in making my living space nicer. I, you know, I'm not somebody that is quick to buy things for myself. I more, you know, get the needs covered, get things, make sure that things are going in the right way for your career and that kind of thing. And and, and just, you know, Kelly and I both were suddenly became more willing to, to you know, 
do things to make our lives more comfortable and more pleasant and, and more nice to be around. I mean, not the least of which is we got a dog. So you know, yeah, it's been having us at home quite a bit. But We've got several um, friends that added dogs to the families this year. Like yeah. the, and, and for 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 a number of them. Uh, it's been the first dog that they've had in their family. Like Pete, that's a big step for people to take. It is. Well, it's like neither of us are strangers to dogs. We both had dogs in our families before. We just didn't have one together yet. So that was it. And it was always sort of like a long thing, but it was kind of, you know, right place at the right time. We've been home a lot, um, particularly in the summer. I was freelancing. Kelly had a job. So I was home. It was the perfect time to get a dog. I love this. Kim says being able to extend empathy and kindness while protecting your own heart and mental health is a huge challenge, but it's important to try to do both. Tanya references trash talk on Fridays. She says in my therapy, writing an angry letter and having Jesperson yell it on the Internet, which is also an option. <laughs> Linda Ray says, but look at what we found out about ourselves. Linda Ray, you've nailed it. Totally true. Look at what we've discovered about ourselves this year. I mean, this is not to discount. Some people have had hor- some people have lost loved ones. Some people have lost their jobs. Some people have had very serious, uh, significant, um, n- you know, negative impacts in their life, or at least challenging circumstances in their lives. Heidi says, "I planted my seeds last week indoors. I can't wait to get outside again. Gardening and yard work is my therapy." She says, "Also, that journalist reminds me of Chan Marshall, and if you don't know who that is, you should." James says, I have found the anger to be energizing. Fighting fascism is so much easier when you're energized. Les Landry, people fighting poverty, is watching this morning, says, helping people is my therapy. Mark's watching in from Utah, says, I've walked almost 80 miles this year. It's great therapy. Yeah, Kim, I mean, Kim's nailing it. She's like, trees, water, mountains, naps, teen hugs. Kim says, helping other women, that's my therapy. Wigwith just ordered worms to start upping their compost game. Well done. Donna's already got six pepper plants going, geraniums, green onions, and a little greenhouse in her living room. Donna says that's her therapy. Pretty fantastic. Well, I'd love to know your therapy. What are you, what are you doing? This, 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 uh, this window, the window of tolerance, I thought was really in, interesting insight as well. Our thanks to Katie Way for joining us. That was a great report. We're excited to welcome a new partner to the show. Did you know coming up, at the University of Alberta, the three-minute thesis, a.k.a. the 3MT competition. Have you heard about this? It goes Thursday, April 1st at, at 1 o'clock Mountain Time. You can watch it online. I'm so excited to be hosting it. And then you're going to see a, a roundtable, our Friday roundtable on Friday, April 2nd, the winners of the three-minute thesis competition. Now, we know that U of A graduate students are doing really cool things. Interesting people working on interesting projects. So join me to learn more about some of the research they're doing in three minutes or less. You never know how some of the work that's discovered in labs or libraries will impact you and the world around you. The three-minute thesis. You're going to hear more on that in Real Talk in the next couple of weeks to come. We also wanted to give a shout-out to the team. The team right now that we're so proud to partner with. And you know that if you're an employer, running a small business is not a 9-to-5 job. Neither is taking care of your employees. And that's where a group benefit plan from Alberta Blue Cross can help with digital tools that do the heavy lifting for you from start to finish. Your employees can enroll and manage their benefits digitally anywhere on any device. And as a plan administrator, you can oversee the entire account all in real time, all within your budget. You can learn how Alberta Blue Cross makes managing your health and dental life and disability coverage simple and affordable at ab.bluecross.com. 
CA. So let's take a look at what's making news today. The federal government is in advanced talks, it says, with an American pharmaceutical giant to fund the expansion of a plant in Winnipeg. It's already got the technology to do the final stages of production for several types of vaccines, including that one that everybody wants to get their hands on, the mRNA COVID-19 vaccine. Canada's industry minister, Francois-Philippe Champagne, says his government plans to help emergent biosolutions expand production capacity so it can attract major COVID-19 vaccine players that Canada has contracts with. Obviously, the government has less control over when it gets them. I noticed a comment on our live chat. Somebody said 5% population vaccinated for a country that's not manufacturing. Actually, not too bad if you think about it. The federal government telling by way of the minister's office, the Globe and Mail, quote, we're trying to onshore as many critical components as possible in order to manufacture vaccines. Meantime, researchers in Europe, as several countries in Europe have suspended rolling out the Oxford AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine, you're hearing about this blood clotting. A couple of people talked to me about it over the weekend, said, is this on your radar? We did a little digging. Some patients in Norway experienced these uh, symptoms. Medical experts have said, listen, the vaccine's safe. There's there's no proven casual link between the vaccine and clots. AstraZeneca, AstraZeneca said, keep in mind, there were 37 cases, 37 cases out of 17 million vaccinations. So that's a story we're keeping an eye on. But right now, the word from researchers, no casual link between the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine and blood clots. And this story making news today, hours ago, the Vatican saying Monday that the Catholic Church will not bless same-sex unions. It's a statement approved by Pope Francis that threatens to widen the chasm between the church and much of the LGBTQ2S plus community. The, the Holy See referring to homosexuality as a choice says it cannot be recognized as objectively ordered. It cannot be considered licit. God does not and cannot bless sin. The decision early on being described as a setback for Catholics who had hoped the institution would modernize its approach to homosexuality. That's a story that we're keeping an eye on. All right, let's talk politics. Uh, Alberta's Premier Jason Kenney, uh, polling lower than I'm sure that he'd like and polling lower than the party in an email on Friday night. Uh, it was learned to UCP constituency presidents uh, learning that there will be a leadership review held next year. Uh, the party president, Ryan Becker, quote, we re reviewed advice. We've passed a resolution that a leadership review is to be held at our AGM, our annual general meeting, in 2022. This being reported by the CBC's Elise Von Schiel. Erica Barutz is uh, the founding president, past president of the United Conservative Party. She's uh, kind of a big deal. When it comes to conservative politics in the province of Alberta and an understanding of the mechanics of it, making her Real Talk debut this morning, my friend, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having me. So an, a, a leadership review um, for, for, for some party leaders, uh, it's obviously a mandate, isn't it? it it's, it's an extension or it's a renewal of the mandate. You have the support of the party. You have the support of the constituency associations uh, in other circumstances. You know, I think recently back to, you know, Premier Ed Stelmack, I think of how Premier Ralph Klein's political career ended. A leadership review can kind of be the beginning of the end. What's the significance through your eyes of this email that went out on Friday night? 
Well, I think uh, your listeners may be very upset to hear I'm going to talk about policy and process, um, maybe not as sexy as as what CBC was trying to make this out to be. Um, just to be clear, there's leadership reviews and leadership rules and what the, the party was working on. And this had been a discussion. I think lots of folks forget that uh, the UCP is not even four years old. So as we uh, were working through all the, the mechanisms and going into a general election, there's always been a will by the the party uh, to have leadership review rules. Now, what that means is that there's either, like you mentioned, set mandate around certain timelines. Um, we as a party didn't want to, you know, always just adopt our, our federal counterparts rules like potentially some of the other provincial parties we see. Uh, we went to the grassroots members. This has been, uh, like I said, unsexy process of going to our AGM, our virtual AGM in November. Um, and the, the will of our members was to vote on these certain rules that were proposed uh, by a constituency. They passed. And now this is the, the formal process of it coming into place. Now, obviously, because this is the first year, the party had rules in place. Uh, they needed to find a specific time for this to roll out 2021, 2022, or 2024, because obviously I think we can all understand why it wouldn't happen in 2023. Um, and the leadership of the party, including the leader, have always wanted the, the members to feel comfortable with the leadership and have urged uh, for us to have it. So 2022, uh, after legal counsel, um, I understand, obviously, I'm not on the board anymore, but um, you would seek uh, expert uh, advice and you then they must have made a decision at their board meeting to go with 2022, which I think we can all understand um, makes a lot of sense. So sorry if I'm not upsetting anyone that it's not as exciting as they'd like to think it was. No, no, I think, and, and I think that there's going to be different interpretations of what this is all about and what this means. I mean, yours is an educated interpretation. People will also say, "Yeah, but you've kind of." I can't say you've got a dog in the fight anymore. I'm going to get I'm going to get ripped for 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 referencing dog fighting. So I've got to find some other. But you've got some skin in the game in the sense that this is a party that you helped to build and you understand steering it. You certainly uh, understand messaging right i mean you know your, your your gig now your vp western canada for enterprise canada national public affairs company you understand how political messaging works uh, a lot of people are going to be drawing parallel lines between some of the stories around how the party's polling how the premier's popularity is uh with regards to you know different polls conducted across the country right now and the fact that there's going to be a leadership review what raises my eyebrows a little bit is that it's in 2022 as opposed to 2021, right? You don't, you'd almost think maybe you reference 2023, the provincial election coming up. You think, well, depending on what's going to happen, you're going to want time for the party to make sure that it gets its ducks in a row here. You think the party's making it 2022 to take the heat off, to take the pressure off doing it in 2021? I think you'd love it. That was the answer. But unfortunately, um, no, what do you mean? To be honest, I well, I just like I think that people would love this to be it's, it's 18 months from now, not 18 days. So it's really not a story right now. We have um, I actually looked before coming on to see any other leadership rules. I don't I can't see them for NDP. I haven't seen them for the other uh, provincial parties. Um to be honest, this is this is party process. And why? Uh, I can tell you I've been through leadership reviews, leadership. Um, the leadership process doesn't happen overnight. I think we can all agree that this government's focus right now is on a pandemic. Uh, and I, I would appreciate having a focus um, on that and not on inside party baseball. So, yeah, I, I think that 2022 makes the most sense, both from the infrastructure that's required, as well as 
um, the current state of our, our province. I, I want just as much as everyone to get back to normal. I know on your show, you were talking about the things that we do or what we've taken on during a pandemic. We all want normal uh, and we all want vaccines and, and we want to get back to that. And I want our government to focus on the job creations that it was that, that it was mandated to do by Albertans. How would you characterize uh, Premier Kenny's leadership of the party to this point, I mean, it's such an, a massive question because I'm asking you about a guy that that came in with this five point plan, unites the parties. Obviously, some still still some questions around the leadership and investigation continuing to the leadership. I would be surprised if that didn't factor into the leadership review if there's not been resolution there. But Premier wins an election with a pretty significant mandate, right? Over a million votes. Everybody knows that. Um, pretty difficult economic circumstance. Um, Obviously, a pandemic uh, provides a ton of challenges. Leaders have been evaluated through a different lens uh, through the pandemic. I mean, you know, I mean, we could pick Canadian premiers by example. You know, Doug Ford's a fascinating character study, isn't he? I mean, there's some premiers, Francois Legault, fascinating study there. Alberta, the same thing. All of these considered, how do you evaluate Jason Kenney's leadership to this point? Yeah, I mean, I think nobody wishes that any premier had to to look at this as uh, their mandate, that they're navigating such a difficult time in in our history. Um, you know, I, I think you can look at different premiers, but it's a different situation here in Alberta. We were already coming into a pandemic, uh, trying to get out of an economic crisis. So I think it's been a very, very tough job. Uh, I know that the premiers expressed this a few times that you know, he didn't get elected to tell people how to live their lives. And I, I strongly believe that. Uh, and navigating a big tent party that had two legacy parties is is no easy feat. And I think he's navigating it to the best of his ability and doing a, a good job. It's, it's very tough, though. I think that a lot of people don't give credit to trying to run a province, um, trying to continue to grow a, a very young party and keep, you know, that that unity that we all we all fought for. Do you think that that's I mean, this is kind of one of the storylines people are following. Right. And it's it's an interesting one with regards to party unity. Um, everybody's talking about these, you know, some of the backbench MLAs that have sort of started to to speak out. There was this end the lockdown caucus. I talked to Drew Barnes about that. And people are talking about the Wild Rose Independence Party and whether or not that could be a threat, you know, whether or not the, the United Conservatives could lose some of the, you know, in particular rural MLAs, whether this could be something where they start to chip away, you know, even if it's eight or nine or 10 percent, um, start to chip away at, at the UCP's, um, you know, stronghold in some pretty important writings. Do you see that? I mean, you've been, you're past president of the party. Do you see that as a significant threat to the unity and, and, and you know, the staying power ultimately of, of the United Conservative Party? I think right now we're at a contentious time and emotions are high. So maybe we're seeing a little bit more. But um, this is this is the thing when you merge two political parties, you need to continue to work. We're very large tent. There's difference of opinions. It's like I said, no easy job. Um, you have to, you know, try and hear everyone and understand all those things. You're going to see some fringe comments, some people disagreeing with the the, the direction. Um, that is what caucus is for. The individuals that sit in the, the anti-lockdown still are members of the UCP caucus. That's where you're supposed to share those views of Albertans. And, and I expect those conversations to be difficult uh, at this time at the caucus table. And we're all navigating a contentious time and they're going to say what they're going to say. But I, I truly believe we're in the third year of our mandate. We're starting to see an upward trajectory of, of oil. 
Um, I think that we've seen some great economic uh, investment announcements recently. So hopefully this is kind of that upward trajectory uh, that the party needs and we'll we'll see the unity continue. Yeah, I'm 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 going to be curious to see what what the leadership review looks like by 2022, because you would hope that by that point, you know, people are vaccinated. Hopefully there's been some return to normal. Hopefully, you know, I mean, businesses, we talk about businesses and I always think about restaurants and things like that. But obviously there's a thousand different businesses that we would be talking about. But it also means that if there's a return to normal, people are going to start to look I I remember those lecterns. Who's ever going to forget them? The signs, the message, you know what it is. You were probably mumbling it in your sleep for months. Jobs, economy, pipelines, considering the role that you had in the part. Jobs, economy, pipelines. But people are going to start to, once there's a return to normal, people are going to start saying, okay. I mean, even me as a a critic and as a a talk personality and a commentator, you know, for me to try to say Jason Kenny is personally responsible for for the economy in the doldrums, I think is is ridiculous and unfair. And I don't think anybody would do that. Uh, In normal circumstances, people will start to evaluate investments the government's making, budget decisions. I don't have to explain to you how that all works. And once it returns to normal, people will start saying, where is the delivery on jobs, economy, pipelines? What gives you the sense or the feeling, if you have it, that this party's on the right track to deliver on those fronts? Do you see evidence that you think that they're making the decisions to deliver on those three promises? I think they're doing their absolute best. They still are focused on it. I know that the way if you watch how this government is playing, there are the key players that are obviously managing the day-to-day pandemic. Um, but there's also those looking for investment, looking for the jobs. We um, we saw in the budget a significant investment in the, infra- the capital infrastructure, which does ultimately create jobs. Um, I recognize that that doesn't maybe tell Burton's uh, feel that way the next day, but that is the intent. So yes, I do think that they'll get back what the projections were uh, when this party came into power may not be the same. Now we saw that in the need to, to increase the debt uh, because of the pandemic, but we're seeing them still focus on, you know, um, savings, finding efficiencies, investing in the economy and diversifying our, um, you know, economic plans. So, yes, I think this is obviously a difficult time. Nobody wishes, I don't wish this on any, on any type of leader to have to try and navigate this across our country or province, but it is the reality. And I think what they're doing is making smart decisions, uh, not being super aggressive and, and making decisions that cater to uh, Albertans, a moderate approach to the pandemic and to getting the, the uh, fiscal house in order. You talk about when, when you say we're talking to Erica Brutes, if you're listening, streaming live on uh, Mixler Audio right now, uh, Erica's a, a VP, VP for Western Canada with Enterprise Canada uh, offices across Ottawa, Toronto, Hamilton, Winnipeg, Edmonton. Um, you, your, your job, part of your job is to you know get your finger on the pulse of, of Canadians, get a sense of how to effectively message to Canadians. When you say oil is kind of bouncing back, the, the budget is... Uh, you know, approaches, I think, with with cautious optimism uh, with regards to the price of oil. I think the party probably learned a lesson with the last budget and you're trying to be a little bit more conservative where, where those expectations are at. And it seems that, you know, around the world, that's kind of the the idea, the approach that people are taking. I understand what you're getting at. The budget implications on natural resources are huge. Do you believe that this government, especially in the recent budget that we just saw, is, is communi- communicating to Albertans that that it understands what diversification 
actually means and what it looks like and is able to put it into practice? What do you see that gives you encouragement there from a messaging standpoint, from an investment standpoint? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, obviously you can always be be more um, boastful about yourself. I think they could brag a little bit more. Uh, we've seen forestry and agriculture be, you know, the leading of economic drivers or economic recovery here. We've seen investment in tech, which I think that a lot of us, um, you know, when you you look at what Alberta stands for, that's not typically that. And we've seen growth, companies moving here. Um, you know, I, I do think we've seen that. We've seen hydro, we've seen, um, you know, biofuels becoming huge. Like, we're seeing it. I think the biggest thing is it's really hard to get through the narrative right now of the pandemic. So people uh, worry about one thing is, is, you know, needles in your arm, your vaccination and returning to normal. So they are doing the hard work. They're doing the heavy lifting. But right now, I just don't think that that narrative is maybe getting as uh, getting through to Albertans as much as uh, we would all like to see. Erica Brutz, our guest, uh, I want to talk federal politics with you. I want to talk federal election with you in just a second. Quickly, I want to remind our audience this morning that we're so proud to be partnered with the teams at Dairy Queen of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Uh, incredible sponsors who, who are always in touch with the show. Sam, they, they just love it. Real talkers are posting Instagram, uh, you know, uh, Twitter photos of their times at the Dairy Queen asking the big tough questions about what can be chocolate dipped or not. What sort of adventures can we uh, go yes. on? What can be chocolate dipped or not? That that came up over the weekend. We, and, and, and people were giving us all kinds of ideas. Well, what I liked was that the, the Dairy Queen accounts were starting to engage on Twitter. So this is we're creating community with the teams at the Dairy Queens and Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, Y Gardens and Baseline Road. Just a reminder, weekdays after 8 p.m. for just five bucks, you can mix and match two dip cones or Sundays, whatever you want. Two of them for five bucks after 8 p.m. at DQs of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Also wanted to remind you that the team at Park Power powers our Real Talk RJ hashtag. They provide Internet, natural gas and electricity service across the province of Alberta. Locally owned, they employ Albertans across the board, including their customer call centers. You've got a question, you're talking to somebody in your neck of the woods. And with the promo code 2021-REALTALK, you can save 70 bucks off your first bill, commercial or uh, residential, at parkpower.ca. Our guest, Erica Baruts. Uh, she is the past president, founding president of the United Conservative Party. Uh, we've had a bit of time to evaluate what the federal conservative party, the, the conservative party of Canada looks like under the leadership of Aaron O'Toole. And, uh, you know, early on, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm curious to actually, let me ask you this question. First of all, how do you assess the early success of a leader? Um, you know, in this case, in opposition, everybody seems to be bracing for an election at some point this year. Are you and how you assess his leadership to this point? Yeah, I mean, Aaron was coming in uh, not really well known uh, and he hasn't shied away from that. He's actually leaned into that narrative. He's trying to get out, introduce. I think he's hit the ground running. I mean, I'm involved uh, at the local level and he's done so much for our grassroots members, connecting with folks. Um, obviously, that's not seen on the national stage, but from a party and actually doing what he committed to, which was uniting uh, our conservative movement federally, he has delivered on that. Um you know, I, I we always wish there was more time for him to get his name out there, talk about his policies, his platform. Um, so we unfortunately we don't make that call. Uh, that's up to the the federal government to, to decide when we go to an election. But I think he's doing everything he can um, to try and get his name out there. He obviously doesn't come in with the celebrate a cele, um, 
celebrity-esque that uh, Justin Trudeau brings. But um, I think he's, he's pounded the pavement. He's doing the hard work and, you know, he is the right man for our party to really unite and, and move forward. What what gives you that sense with regards to him? Like, what does he have? I mean, you know, every, everybody talks about Stephen Harper and what he brought to the table and, and, and you know, love him or, or dislike him. Um, we've just talked about not being jerks, you know, so I'm not going to say love him or hate him. Let me say love him or dislike or dislike him at this point to be positive on this Monday. You, people can say these were attributes of Stephen Harper's that allowed him to gain a majority government that allowed him to keep for the most part uh, MPs in line. So, you know, control the messaging to a certain degree, um, experience success on some fronts, you know, depending on the, uh, how we're defining this. And then with Andrew Shear, it just kind of seemed to be, you know, trying to trying to trying to fill the shoes of Stephen Harper. And it was a little bit more difficult. His election performance wasn't dismal. I mean, did all right. You know, and we know the typical talking points, right? He got the most votes, this, that and the other. We all we all know that. Um, but didn't beat Justin Trudeau at a time that a lot of people, including me, thought that Justin Trudeau was really beatable, really vulnerable. So the party membership, you know, evaluates, has a chance to to say, you know, do we need a new leader? They they determined that they do. And, and in comes Aaron O'Toole. What do you see about him that's different than Andrew Scheer and that maybe gives you the confidence that he could lead this party back into a government position again? Yeah. So before that, I think because we talked about uh, party leadership reviews and rules and things like that, actually, the CPC does have a rule that after an election that you're not successful, you do uh, strike a leadership review. So um, very similar uh, type of thing where this is actually a party. And what I love about the conservative movement is actually we do believe truly in our grassroots and letting you know a process uh, give the members a vote. I don't see that from other parties. Um, as much, obviously, I'm not a part of them, so I don't uh, experience them firsthand, but I couldn't tell you the last time we saw a leadership review or any type of rules or conversations uh, at the NDP level provincially. Um, so I just wanted to stress that that was part of the process um, to go into a leadership review. And obviously, uh, Andrew choose, chose to, to not let his name stand, step down as leader. Um, when it comes to Aaron, I think that uh, th- my favorite part is if you meet him and I know that that's really hard for the nation to do so, but especially during a pandemic, especially understanding what job loss is, he is not a member of the elitism, like that what we're seeing currently and not understanding what Canadians need. He was raised in a blue collar family. He knows what hard work looks like. And I really think that that's what we need to push as a conservative party is just how approachable he is, how he gets it. He's not just a talking head and and giving facts and figures and pretending that he's relatable. He actually is. Um, And I think that that'll be the biggest contrast that we'll see between our current prime minister and what I believe is our next prime minister. Mm, when do you think if you had to pick a month when do you think we're going to go to the polls federally speaking when when are you what, what's your crystal ball tell you well we might be betting some dilly bars uh on this i guess um but uh no i i there's a conservative convention this weekend i believe that um the liberals are mid-april i think we'll wait till after that my fingers are crossed they'll actually drop a budget but uh who knows um given their record and not dropping one in two years but it's been a long um, time i would guess yeah <laughs> let's let's put some pressure on as canadians and, and ask for that but i think what we'll we'll see is probably june uh would be my guess i don't want to put that in paper and i'm, I'm not taking a bet because uh 
I don't want to, I would like the dilly bars <laughs> and I don't, I don't know at this point, but it's looking like, I mean, you saw today, he went out and did an announcement or he's doing an announcement in Quebec. Um, it sounds like pre-campaign announcing, uh, which a lot of folks would know kind of happens a few months out. So if that's any indication, I think we're looking at, at sooner rather than later. I don't think it'll go to fall. Um, again, I don't have that, that choice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, if you were, if you were controlling the messaging or if you were working on that campaign, like, uh, first of all, did you work on Aaron O'Toole's leadership campaign? I don't know. Uh, I didn't actually no. work on any oh, yeah. of the leadership. Right. Uh, I was, yeah, I was too involved with the provincial party at the time. to actually. Yeah. So if you're, if you're working on messaging, if you're working on this campaign team heading into the next federal election, what are a couple of the key things? Um, I know that a lot of people told pollsters after the last federal election, October, 2019 GTA, Vancouver, said that they didn't perceive that the conservatives had a, a serious or strong enough climate plan. That was like one of the things that I think Andrew Scheer acknowledged after the election, or maybe he felt like Canadians didn't understand their plan or they didn't communicate it well enough. And he never acknowledged they didn't have one. Um, so we know that I would imagine that'll be a priority for the conservatives to get ahead of that messaging and to talk about that and, and, and to paint the picture of what it would look like if we were in government, but what are a couple of the key things that you'd go at the federal government? What would be a couple of the things you'd be reminding Canadians or asking Canadians to think of? Well, I would point at the, uh, the vaccine uh, rollout. I know that it's looking nicer right now, but it wasn't, we were behind it. I know at the beginning of your show, you talked about this. It was brutal. We were falling behind third world countries. I think, you know, we we should be standing up and partnering with our neighbors to the south on getting vaccinations. We shouldn't be walked over and, and not being able to get um, access. So, you know, I think that's a big thing. Most people, to be honest, I mean, yes, jobs, insane. Uh, the way they managed COVID of, of overspending and, and under-delivering, um, you know, I think how you're seeing a bailout of airlines and all of these things that are just their unpredictable, you know, unreliable government that we've seen. And, and as they've navigated any, everything, I, as, as someone that can't believe that a, a party has so many lives on dealing with scandals. Um, I don't know if that's sticking with Canadians. It hasn't appeared to. So I would love to, to remind them of, of how, you know, I think the biggest narrative is just how unreliable, unpredictable and, um, unapproachable this government is. They don't seem to think that there's anything they can do wrong. And we need someone that will roll up, actually roll up their sleeves and, and do the hard work to, to get our economy back on track. And we all know I strongly don't think that Justin Trudeau is that individual. Mm. Erica Brutes, VP Western Canada for Enterprise Canada. She was the founding president, past president of Alberta's United Conservative Party. It's good to have you on the show. Thanks for doing it. Thanks, Ryan. You bet. Checking the real talk RJ hashtag. Michael says, Michael James says, can, can we talk real? Can we have some real talk for a moment? He says, we need an energy transition ASAP. So why are we entertaining discussions of a return to old ways that have us dependent on dirty oil and petro politics? Can we please demand more of our leaders and of your guests? Real talk, please. That from Michael James. Fair. You know, I mean, we just had our solar panel just on Friday. We, we did an hour on solar, specifically solar, just on Friday, like our most recent show before today. We're talking to Professor Michael E. Mann on Thursday. 
Michael Mann out of Penn State University, a climatologist, geophysicist there. That's going to be a great conversation. It's a balance, though, isn't it, Sam? I mean, really, if you're talking about Alberta and, and if you're talking about global markets and if you're talking about consumption, if you're talking about demand, you don't just I mean, you know, people people talk critics of, for example, Justin Trudeau will say he's talking about phasing out the oil sands. Well, Stephen Harper talked about phasing out the oil sands, too. At some point, it's going to happen. There is, you know, limited supply and waning demand. But today, current, present, you know, and for the next whatever you want to say, 15 to 50 years, there will still be demand. So you don't just fold the tents, but a smart jurisdiction and an energy capital like Alberta, in my mind, utilizes the advantages it has now to prepare for continued success into the future. How do you manage the transition? That's the question. Yeah, I would say so. And I also say that, uh, you know, I mean, nobody reasonably thinks that we can turn off the oil sands overnight. That's just not going to happen. It's too much of an economic driver. It's too much of an employer. It's too much of a, you know, for good or for ill, Albertans, all of you, left, right and center, you're kind of saddled with the oil sands as being our economic driver right now. How we choose to manage that into the future is sort of collectively up to us. Um, and yes, like anything that is a finite resource will be closed down eventually. I mean, every mine that is opened has a, well, should have a reclamation strategy for closing it eventually. So, you know, back in the 70s, when we were finally able to start making use of bitumen, we knew that this is a thing that Alberta could do for a while, and then we would need to move on to something else. The advantage that we have is incredible amounts of trades talents and incredible universities and incredible um, people in this province that are innovators. I mean, if, if, you know, the reason we were able to take oil out of sand is because we have homegrown innovation right here in this province. It's amazing. So why are we not focusing that innovation on wind and solar and geothermal? And it's just like the talent is all here. Yeah. Uh, Jill's watching. She says, you know, when I asked the question, yeah, this is kind of that, that was kind of a funny moment in the interview. I didn't really. But uh, yeah, why? Why do the leadership review 18 months from now? Doesn't it make more sense to do it this year? And then Erica says, you'd love that, wouldn't you, Ryan? I was kind of like, I don't really know what that means. But but um, <laughs> but I appreciate she did the interview. So that's good. Roger says that was uh, Roger says Jesperson. That was a softball interview. I didn't hear one hard question asked. You just let her run out her UCP talking points. That was disappointing. Um, you know, I don't know if it was a softball interview. You, you, you probably were able to get a bit of a sense from the beginning that she was probably going to be supportive of the party as past president of the party. What will the leadership review find? I mean, I do think that it's it's worth paying attention to the fact that the party has announced that, you know, here's the deal. So if if 25 percent, if you know, if a quarter or more of constituency associations uh, 87 of them across the province, if 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 25 percent of them or more demand a leadership review, then the party is compelled to give a leadership review. So you, you would assume that that's the case here and uh, and that the party's going to, you know, my my speculation is that maybe you make it for 2022 so you can say, look, we're committed to it. We're committed to transparency. We're committed to reviewing the leadership and it's going to be in enough time for whatever's going on right now to settle down for the hornets to return to the nest, so to speak. Maybe that's the case. Maybe it's not. I suspect that it 
very well might be. Um, I don't know if it was a softball interview. It was a, you know, it was a conversation. She's not president of the party as we speak, but McBain Camera is Alberta's best destination for photographers and content creators. And if you're looking to tell your story beautifully, look to the Nikon Z50 camera. This is your chance to get your hands on stunning 4K ultra high def with 1080p slow motion time lapse mode. A ton of other options, obviously, like you can flip down that LCD screen to activate self portrait mode. You can download Nikon's webcam utility and live stream then from Zoom or Twitch or YouTube or whatever. You're going to look pro right out of the gates. And right now, if you visit mcbaincamera.com and order a Nikon Z50 body or the full kit and enter the promo code REALTALK, just one word, REALTALK, you'll get a free ProMaster Hitchhiker tabletop tripod with your order. You can live chat with a team member right now at mcbaincamera.com. Also wanted to remind you that the team at Grand Dog Essentials is delivering quality raw food to folks' front doorsteps in Calgary, Edmonton, and Central Alberta, including Red Deer. So what's new? They've got three new supplements. You can look into the daily probiotic for healthy dogs or dogs with digestive or immune issues, help support them where they need it there. Whether it's allergies or food intolerances, ear infections, skin problems, ask them about their Protect supplement. And then there's the Digest supplement for older dogs, dogs with chronic pancreatitis, dogs with IBS, it's a thing. And then the third one, this green-lipped muscle oil that's a powerful anti-inflammatory, particularly good for joint health. Do your dogs a favor and check out Grand Dog Essentials. GrandDog.ca, the promo code REALTALK, gets you 10% off your first order at GrandDog.ca. Well, we've been having a lot of fun looking through the uh, question of the week results. Uh, our team, our partners at Y Station, the official research and strategy partner, um, more than 900 of you answered our question of the week this week, which, which took on the important subjects. We decided that everyone had been doing enough heavy lifting, Sam, We'd been asking you to solve the budget, to eradicate the deficit. We'd been asking you to name a new governor general. We'd been asking you all the big, tough questions. And so on this one, we wanted to make it a little bit more fun. And you responded en masse. And we've been able now to definitively draw lines in the sand. Say We have some real answers to these questions. We don't there, are some, there is some strong opinions here. Yeah, but we don't have to tolerate foolishness anymore. That's like true. on our live chat or from other on Twitter. Um, for example, the debate around pineapple on pizza. I am thrilled. I am thrilled to see now scientific polling around this. When it comes to the matter of pizza, pineapple is in. 81% of respondents Support pineapple on pizza. Stuffed crust is out. Polling well below pineapple. 61% of you supporting stuffed crust. There, there is a waning support for stuffed crust pizza. And the New York slice gets an aye. Uh, the New York slice beating out styles of pizza from Chicago and Detroit. Did either of these surprise you, Sam? Nope. Nope. Uh, just, uh, stuffed crust, I think maybe maybe a little bit. I thought it might be a little bit more popular, but I think people kind of see it as a bit of a novelty. It's a bit it's a bit showy. It's a, it's bit, a bit look at me. Gimmicky. Pizza. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it, uh, what we've learned is real talkers like their classic pizza. That's what it is. Classic 
pineapple on pizza. Why don't we take an, a, a look at another one of the graphics that have been beautifully prepared by the team at Y Station. These are allowing us um, these types of exercises to better understand you, our Real Talk audience, so well, we can we bring should, you... We should get into this one because the, this is uh, this is really important. Yeah, well, as I announced this earlier, this was the one that I was looking to see. The second best use of grapes. I'm assuming that that's an editorial comment from the team at Y Station in support of wine. Uh, the second best, unless they're talking glossette raisins, which may be the number one choice. I'm not sure. Um, but the second best use of grapes raisins were given the seal of approval from more than three quarters of you 76 percent of respondents now the team at y station couldn't help themselves here they had to throw in the editorial comment that's chris anderson surprised us too were you surprised that three quarters of people support raisins i mean anecdotally i get to watch um th there's almost a daily poll about support for raisins right here on the chatterbox and i think quite anecdotally real talkers are are pretty firmly in the pro raisin camp well but i but i wouldn't say so on the chat on the live chat and what this goes to show is and and, and here we're going to see the response live as i as i say this we're going to see the response live but it goes to show that sometimes the live chat is not indicative of the greater real talk audience mm. which is an important distinction to make that's true right i mean for example keith is chiming in he says now as a professional chef the raisin data is flawed now we're starting to get people questioning the validity of our scientific polling here. I mean, this is this is proving to be potentially a bit of a, a bit of a, a of a divisive exercise here, which which would be a bit of a concern. Mark now chiming in says, I thought this was real talk. Pineapple on pizza is fake news. I mean, these are if you're going to say something to us to hurt our feelings, that's about as hurtful as you can get, Mark. Yeah. You know. You know, some of you are feeling judged for the talk on raisins. Some of you are, are supporting. Nicole says raisins are great. Marie says raisin bran is an awesome breakfast choice. You know? I will agree with that. Okay, let's get to some of the other poll results here because I know people have been waiting for these. A reminder, if you do support us on Patreon, you can go to ryanjesterson.com, look at the top right-hand corner of the website. That's how you can sign up. You get access to an exclusive access to the top line report, which means you get to read through all of this stuff. What else do we have here, Sam? Well, let's talk about if you pass an owner and a dog on the street, who do you acknowledge? To the 25% of people who only acknowledge the owner and not the dog while passing on the street. You okay? You good? 25%, one in four of you just acknowledge the owner and not the dog. I wonder, I wonder what goes into that. Yeah. I wonder if there's sort of a psychological implication to that. What can we learn about people's personalities that don't say hi to the dogs? So we, we saw, you know, I mean, here, here's some more of the interesting findings. We expected... Uh, the supporters of a, of a hot dog is a sandwich. We asked you a question. Is a hot dog a sandwich? We expected those supporters to potentially be few and far between. But but more than more than 30 percent of you, more than a third of you think that a hot dog is a sandwich. Which, See, I'm in camp. Hot dog is a sandwich. What? It checks the boxes of what makes a sandwich. It doesn't. First of all, first of all, the two pieces, the, the bun is connected. It's not separate. In my mind, that's that's one of the things, although I guess then by that definition, a Subway sandwich wouldn't be a sandwich. Yeah. You just oh. walked right into that one. Yeah, there. I did. Well, then is a Subway sandwich really a sandwich? Well, I would say so. I mean, people have been questioning some of the ingredients in Subway sandwiches for quite some time right now. Don't believe me. Google it for yourself. I'm not looking for a lawsuit, but I will say there's evidence on the Internet. Um, you know, Chris, uh, Chris uh, Henderson uh, at Y Station wanted us to note. He specifically wrote this into my talking points. If you ever see someone from Y Station at Costco, they will buy you a hot dog. 
if that, you that's good news you know i do I'm, love a good costco hot i mean dog. i wouldn't say camp out at costco waiting for chris anderson or someone from y station but if you happen to cross paths with them they'll buy you a hot dog 34 percent of respondents this is lower than i thought it would be 34 percent of respondents do not like cilantro now what's interesting about this that's higher that's nine percent higher than the approximate 25 percent of the general population with a scientifically supported genetic predisposition to perceive cilantro as having a soapy taste. In other words, 25% of the population per average is not a fan of cilantro. 34% of real talkers, not a fan, respondents to the survey. No, see, I, I think this data absolutely jives with each other because they're two different questions, right? One is a question of, do you have this genetic predisposition to taste cilantro a certain way? That's 25% of the population. We can just sort of see that as like a baseline statistic. The question was, do you like cilantro? So, you know, we went from 25 to that extra 11% of people are the people that probably don't taste that stuff, but just don't like cilantro. Fair enough. I, I think that data checks out perfectly. Yeah, I, 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 I feel I feel like folks that I mean, it's fine if you don't like cilantro. I always just feel like it's kind of like, you know, when you when you see someone, you care about somebody and you feel like they're they're denying themselves an opportunity to elevate their their culinary game or their culinary experiences. That's what I feel. I just feel pain. I just feel I, I feel like, you know, people deserve more. Um, the greatest athlete in history. Wayne Gretzky considered to be the greatest athlete. But here's here's what's interesting. Another Canadian was a frequent write in candidate was not on the list. Who do you think it might be? It was Terry Fox. A whole bunch of people wrote in Terry Fox does not surprise me. as a candidate for the greatest athlete of all time. It's uh, it may be sort of an un if Terry Fox is not an athlete, what is he? I mean, Terry Fox is a lot of things. He's an icon. He's arguably the greatest Canadian in history. He's absolutely an athlete. No, but, but I'm just saying I'm just saying by the yeah. param, by the parameters of athleticism. Oh, how yes. would how would you evaluate him as the greatest? Athlete? How do you evaluate Wayne Gretzky? All time points, more assists than the next person has points. You know, four Stanley Cups, uh, league, you know, league wide retired sweater uh, holder of I think it's something like what is it? Fifty seven scoring records and 90 NHL records. total. I mean, there's 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 metrics. Michael Jordan, I think he had. Did he have six titles? You'd look at Serena Williams who had a huge amount of support, by the way, as well. Serena Williams, second. She was second in place. She yeah. was second. As a matter of fact, let me call this up so we can show folks but that are watching But did either this of YouTube. them attempt to walk across the country with a prosthetic leg? Well, and Sam, and that's great, but but you can say, and and, and like I said, I'm not arguing that, that you know Terry Fox is not an athlete. He's obviously athletic, but that makes him, did he run across the country? Yes. Does that make him an inspirational leader? Absolutely. Does it make him one of the greatest fundraising icons in Canadian history? Without a doubt. Does it make him arguably the greatest Canadian of all time per that CBC exercise? You remember that CBC exercise? I do, yes. The greatest yeah. Canadian of all time. You know, Tommy Douglas, Terry Fox, you know, Don Cherry was on that list. There were several people on the list. But greatest athlete of all time. Mm. Here's what you had to say. Real talkers, 41% of you selected Wayne Gretzky, 34. Look at this, nipping at his heels, Serena Williams. Seven points behind. That's pretty impressive. Way and ahead of, way ahead of Michael Jordan at 12%, Pele at 8%. I love this, Tom Brady at 3% and Tiger Woods at 2%. So no respect for Brady, Woods, 
even Michael Jordan, 12%. I thought I, that was surprisingly low. I, I, was, I was really happy to see Serena Williams and Wayne Gretzky fighting it out, duking it out at the top. Yeah, one. yeah. I was just I, I'm trying to sort of think about this data a little bit here. You know, part of me is kind of dwelling on I I would give Serena Williams a little bit of a bump because she's still playing. You know what I mean? So I think that that's something to consider as well. I think that uh, athletes that are fresh in our minds. But then again, Tiger's also still playing and he was last. Tiger's not. I mean, Tiger's in serious trouble right he now. Is, He's yeah. getting his body rebuilt. Um, so, yeah, we'll see what happens to Tiger Woods. I've got a buddy that's just absolutely convinced Tiger Woods is going to come back and win another Masters. He's just absolutely convinced it's going to happen. I mean, the guy's legs, I don't even want to talk about it in a way that's too casual right now because he's still in in really tough shape. But, I mean, we're talking major surgeries to rebuild this guy. Uh, You know, my pal figures that if anybody can come back, it's going to be Tiger. So we'll see. In this week's edition of Get Real, our question of the week, you can answer it at ryanjesperson.com. It's right on the main page. It's been one full year since the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 to be a global pandemic, throwing all of our lives into the biggest universal change we've ever seen. A year on, we have a potential light at the end of the tunnel with a host of new vaccines and a better understanding of the disease. In this week's Get Real Question of the Week, we want you to do a short reflection on what's changed and what happened in the last year. And we would love to see, you know, a thousand or more of you uh, take us up on the chance to do that. And we're curious to know uh, what you'll have to say about it. Of course, through the week, the question of the week will remain open Sunday night, late Sunday night, when the team at Y Station has finished their amazing work. Our Patreon supporters will get their exclusive access to the top line report. It's called it's typically 12 to 15 pages of really interesting insight into the data. And then, of course, we'll present the results to you on, 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 on admittedly a more serious subject Uh, Coming up a week from today, the team at Friesen Brothers has been open for business now for a short time at their 15th Alberta store, South Edmonton, just off the Anthony Henday at Rabbit Hill Road, uh, and it's earning rave reviews. We were hearing all weekend people have been checking it out. People have just been wild about it. I think like I don't know what people expected. People reach out and say, holy, they say this grocery store is not like any other store I've ever been. And I said, I've been telling you that for months. But I think maybe people thought that it was just some bluster on our part. People thought that it was just Friesen Brothers was paying us to say it. So we were saying it. I'm like, nah, man, like you'll never go back to your other grocery store. You'll never go back after you check out Friesen Brothers. Plus, of course, in 14 other locations across the province of Alberta, proud to support Alberta producers across the board. Check out the honey display they have. The honey display at the new store. I was going to say it's so sweet. And then I knew that would get you going and you'd say buzz off Jesperson. And then and then we'd get into things like, you know, I'd say we got to start combing through the data. And then anyway, Friesen Brothers <laughs> is Alberta grown and Alberta owned. The team at Eden Landscaping is getting their construction crews ready to go. Uh, they know that, you know, they're probably feeling the same way that you are, eager to get outside after a winter indoors, and they want to find a way to maximize your outdoor space. Maybe this is the year that you finally get that beautiful interlocking stone patio and the gazebo, or maybe a beautiful fire pit where family can gather confidently, safely, but still gather and be together. 
What about an outdoor cooking station? They've done all this type of stuff. You can check it out at landscapeedmonton.ca. For more than 20 years, they've been designing and building your dream projects, your dream outdoor space at Eden Landscaping. Also wanted to give a shout out to the team at Kubi Energy. It was great to have Jake Kubiski on the show on Friday, wasn't it? You can tell like the guy... He's into what he does at Kubi Energy, right? An oil field uh, and oil sands industrial electrician turned entrepreneur business owner with Kubi Energy. They're doing solar, commercial and residential uh, installations in BC and Alberta. And they do all the paperwork. There are some incentives right now if you're in the province of Alberta for businesses to tap into some of that solar technology. And you can find more at kubienergy.ca. What was it you you had a uh, one of the things that you do here, Sam, as, as part of our team is you'll go in and you'll pull the highlight clips from interviews. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting for me to watch you. You were like in your own world. You were keenly focusing. You had your headphones on combing through that solar panel on Friday. Uh, was there something in particular there? Because you had talked. You had a really interesting question about the grid taking in, giving back, building and sort of expanding uh, a, a pretty meaningful grid there. Was that was that something you continued to think about through the weekend? If I oh, you? Uh, whoa. <laughs> whoa. <laughs> my, he gets I was, excited. I you was, were excited. Ah, just way too close to my. I okay. I, th- I do a thing where I lean in and like kind of focus on stuff that you're talking about, and then I realize I'm right on top of my microphone. So, anyways, um, yeah. Well, I mean, it. Yeah, I loved that discussion. Uh, definitely took a lot of it through the weekend on me. I think that you know I've been. On a practical matter, I think I've been talking, thinking a lot about how to how to potentially maybe get some solar and, and get financing in place. And I'm really happy that there's like an actual framework for like an effective financing pace program coming up. Um, I really loved how, you know, during that panel, because uh, you're talking about Jake, how he just really, really loves what he does. Anytime there was sort of a, you know, a, a nerdy out of left field or an experimental technology question about like what's coming up here, like you could just see him light up with glee, just being like, oh yeah, we want to talk about that stuff. So I thought the panel was, I mean, we bounced around on topic a little bit and we, we sort of went all over this, but I, I think, you know, if I want to talk about big takeaways, like the big takeaway was it's possible and it's here now and we can't keep relegating this to some future technology we're going to have one day because it's already cheaper than coal. It's already cheaper than natural gas. It's already cheaper than the conventional ways that we get power here. We've got, uh, I'm taking a look here and I, and, and uh, on our live chat and, and a lot of people are talking about Simone Biles, the American gymnast. She's got a combined total of 30 Olympic and world champion medals, world championship medals. She's the most decorated American gymnast, the world's third most decorated gymnast. A lot of people are saying she's the greatest athlete of all time. The live chat is still going on about the greatest athletes of all time. Haas says, I love Terry Fox. But by my definition of athlete, the athletic ability needs to be transferable to other sports. Interesting. I don't know about that. But if that is the case, Haas, then then you get the case for a lot of other people that are that are talking about Bo Jackson. We, we brought up Bo Jackson's name last week alongside Jim Thorpe. Um, there have been, you know, I mean, people are saying, and quite rightfully so, that we're we're talking about, you know, Stephen says, where's Michael Phelps on the list? Michael Phelps, I think, should be in the conversation, has to be in the conversation. There are athletes from 500 years. What about athletes from ancient Greece? What about athletes from, you know, that, that most people have never heard of that are probably among the greatest athletes in human history. And, and you know, also counter that with the idea of that, you know, those athletes didn't have the advantages of like modern sports science and modern medicine and the stuff that we use day in and day out to help our athletes achieve. Like imagine being 
a, a high achieving athlete even a hundred years ago. Yeah. It would be a completely different world. Yeah. Scott says, uh, I'm sorry, but golf isn't a sport. <laughs> Tiger was amazing at a game, not a sport. Ugh. That's interesting. Well, I told like, you, I, I told you I, I, I crossed paths with, with, you know, legendary Canadian curler, Kevin Martin the other yeah. day. Uh, so cool to run into Kevin and have a chance just to quickly say hi. And, uh, but people might say, you know, golf, curling. What are some other examples? Of, they might say, are those, are those really sports or are they games? I think they're sports. I think it's like, I don't know. I think you're splitting hairs here at one thing. I, I think that there are some people that don't like golf. No, I've been. And, and, and immediately label it a game, not a sport, because it makes them feel better. It's a sport. It's definitely a sport. I think if you watch. You know, I was watching yesterday a little bit of the Players' Championship. You know, Bryson DeChambeau, I know it's cliche to talk about him right now, or something like you see someone hit a golf ball 380 yards, um, and then you're going to try to tell me they're not an athlete. I don't buy it. I do think golf is a sport. Um, I don't think that when I'm golfing with my buddies that we are athletic. And uh, and it's more of a it's more of a social outing than anything then, but. But you can do any sport in a non-athletic way. You know, throwing a football around in a field is not being athletic and not really playing football, but you're engaging in something that is part of a sport. Same with like, I don't know, pick up basketball. You know what I mean? Yeah. Logically speaking with a very fair says, what about Muhammad Ali? Although I think it's fair to say that, you know, if we really wanted to debate this seriously, um, I'm not sure. Oh, boy. Am I even going to say this actually? Is Mah- oh boy, is Muhammad Ali even the greatest fighter of all time? Mm. Like is well, oh boy, I'm not ca- I'm not qualified to say I'm not qualified to say whether I, or not. I, I think what we just keep exposing is is trying to name the greatest athlete has a lot of flaws in it. Greg says that Wayne Gretzky was named the greatest athlete of all time on the Real Talk. Uh, get real question of the week because of both hockey and Edmonton bias. That's absolutely true. That's absolutely accurate. Mark says uh, Bo Jackson as well. Talking about Bo, I'm not sure if he's the top athlete of all time, but he's got to be up there. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, this is really, this is really, yeah. Some random guy says I'm painting myself into a corner there. With what though? With what? With what part? I, I paint myself into corners every single day. In what part of my painting? I'm just not qualified to say who's the greatest fighter of all time. I don't know. I don't know who it is. I, I'm out of my element talking about fighting, so you're yeah, not going to get any insight. Me from too. Me like, on this one. I, is it yeah. Floyd Mayweather? Is it? Is it? Uh, like, yeah. There's tons. Um, many of you are saying, you know, Ali or Lennox Lewis. Lennox Lewis. You know, Crazy James says Rocky Macchiano. Um, Troy says, I swear if you say Mayweather, don't, don't ask, don't, I'm not the one to comment here. You know, less as curler Sandra Schmerler should have been on the list. How do you not include Usain Bolt on the list? We talked about that last week. We admitted that the question was limited. And then we invited you to send all of your criticism about that specific question to Chris Henderson at Y Station, not us. That was one of the times that we said, this is not our problem. We are not taking responsibility for this question because the greatest athlete of all time could have could have and maybe should have had 50 choices. You know, and some of them would have been names that you would not even recognize. You wouldn't even know who these people are. And we'd still get write-ins. If we had 50 choices, we would still get write-ins. Yeah. Steven is, is not wrong. He says Clara Hughes. She's won Olympic medals for Canada in cycling and speed skating. Yeah, totally fair. 
I'm always blown away by the Olympians that compete in both the winter and the summer games. There's a small handful of them, but I just, I cannot believe how it's they do that. It's wild. It's wild to even make it to the Olympic games, let yeah. alone to win medals, right? I mean, that, that's a whole other, I mean, to me, if you're an Olympian, just being an Olympian to me is remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. The team at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge knows that for a lot of you, spring is going to be a time when you start reevaluating your ride. You know, is it time to get into something new, something maybe a little more fuel efficient, something you enjoy driving? Maybe you've been denying yourself affordable luxury and now's the time to, well, shake it up a little with the 2021 Cherokee Sport 4x4. MSRP on it, just over 40 Gs, but right now they've got it for $34,990. These are the ones with that 3.2 liter V6, the nine-speed automatic transmission, the heated leather-wrapped steering wheel, a heated steering wheel. It's my favorite feature in my car. It is the best feature. Well, it's, it's right up there. Remote starter, heated front seats, and then it's got the touchscreen with integrated Bluetooth and Apple CarPlay. You won't find a better selection of the 2021 Jeep lineup than you will at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. The team at Westworld Computers is ready to help you reinvent your tech, and you don't have to drop huge dough to do it. In addition to the new Apple lineup, they've also got gently pre-owned gear from the watches to the phones to the tablets, the iPads, of course, the MacBook Pros and the iMacs, all the way through the lineup, software reloaded, new warranty on them, and of course, you're going to pay less at Westworld Computers. Also, a big shout out to the team at Clean Air Club at cleanairclub.ca. Furnace filters are one of the things that we overlook and ignore, right? We don't think about the fact that all of the air that's going through the ventilation in our home, every time I think about this, it makes me want to change my furnace filter every week. Yeah, I I was thinking about this actually the other day when I noticed that my dog has a bed next to one of the cold air intakes, so ah. it's just pulling all of her fur into the furnace. <laughs> that's one of the most disgusting things I've thought of in a long time. <laughs> That is absolutely disgusting. Although, if you think about it, if you're cleaning your furnace filter on regular it's rotation, problem, it's actually brilliant. Yeah. It's brilliant, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Takes care of the dog hair. Takes care me. of the dog hair. You just got to remember to change your filter. They deliver them right to your door. You're going to pay less. So save money and breathe easy at cleanairclub.ca. Also, a big shout out to the team at Local Waste. Every Friday, they present Trash Talk. We've had a lot of fun with it this past Friday. That was a lively trash talk. Didn't we say it was the first seven-minute trash talk? It was had in almost a long time? seven minutes. It was, yeah, it was, I think, our longest one. People are ornery. People had things to say. You can find Trash Talk as a standalone segment on our YouTube channel. And you can send us your emails to talk at ryanjesperson.com. That's how you can send us emails to be considered. Local Waste has been in the game for more than 25 years, going up against the big internationals. They handle your waste, your recycling solutions, and they love to talk trash. Give them a call today. Visit them at localwaste.ca. Same goes with the team at Alta Moving and Storage at altastorage.ca. They've got long and short-term storage solutions. And you want to just tidy your space up, things you're not ready to get rid of necessarily, but you're sick of looking at them every single day. Why not get a storage locker and get it handled? Plus, the pod-style moving containers that take the stress out of moving is what you're going to want to look into at Alta Moving and Storage. Locally owned, locally operating, proudly Alberta-based. Every Monday, we proudly present, in partnership with the team at Kubi Energy, a little something that we call 
Positive Reflections. We've been loving the submissions that you send us. These are ones that are sent to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Sam, can we get to these photos? The Aurora Borealis, as as we call it, the Northern Lights. Look at this. We had a couple of you reach out and say, hey, are you following Harry with an E on Twitter? Well, we certainly are now. I was not before, and I had no idea. These are taken just north of Regina, Saskatchewan. Harry is a photographer with an amazing ability to capture images that will take your breath away. I've been talking to some sky watchers, and they've been saying that the Aurora Borealis has been especially active in our neck of the woods here in Alberta into Saskatchewan across the prairies for the past couple of weeks. Yeah, it's it's like just something to, to note. It's most active during the equinoxes. So September and March is when it really flares up the most. My Aurora app was going crazy this weekend, and then I'd look outside and be cloudy, and I was really disappointed. I know, the cloud cover. That's why Harry with an E, his photos have brought joy to us today. Harry, thanks so much. This from Amissa. Amissa sent us an email and said, I've been I've been wanting to email the show for a while and, and said I thought that it might be like a long, well-written opinion piece on something you've been talking about, but instead says I wanted to share this sweet photo of my niece and nephew. This is Liliana and Rat playing tic-tac-toe in the dander. Look at this photo. Look closely. They're playing tic-tac-toe on the horse in the dander. I on did the... not notice this Isn't when I first cool? looked at that photo. I That's loved so it. I loved when Amissa sent this in that the horse's name is Flame. Flame is very patient. <laughs> Flame is shedding. It, yeah. it is that time of year. And such a lovely moment, says Amissa, between a couple of Alberta farm siblings and their big furry friend. Amissa, thanks for taking the time. And this is a story that jumped out at us. This is a story that brought joy to us. This is wonderful. Have you ever have you ever heard of uh, the company Nature's Path? Well, here's the deal. Nine-year-old Jericho Roman has autism, and Jericho has some really serious eating challenges. And the only solid food that Jericho will eat is a discontinued flavor of Nature's Path waffles. Here he is. This is Jericho. He's nine. So Nature's Path heard about this story after they discontinued them, right? Jenna is Jericho's mom, and and she was desperately hunting for, for, for more waffles for her little guy. They're the organic maple cinnamon waffles. And, and he's got an, an oral aversion. So it's like a highly sensitive gag reflex and other complex eating challenges. So they make him smoothies through the day and they pack him with carrots and avocados and stuff like that. But he won't eat any other solid food. So here's the deal. On just this past Saturday, like a week ago, Nature's Path said it adapted the recipe for home use and they delivered the recipe to the family along with ingredients. So they discontinued the product, but they told the family what the recipe was, how to make it, and then delivered the ingredients. They plus found eight remaining cases of the waffles in a freezer in Illinois and had those shipped and delivered to the family. They literally took their corporate R&D team. They took their research and development team to adapt the recipe for home use so the family could make the waffles themselves. This is an absolutely fabulous story. They say, we really hope the company says that Jenna and Jericho now have a recipe that they can continue to enjoy forever. How about that? 
Ronan's asking people, the family, to start looking for the waffles. If you see them in grocery store freezers and they've started a fundraiser online to cover the costs of delivery, should anybody find them? So, real talkers, if you happen to find maple cinnamon waffles by Nature's Path, buy them. Let us know. (laughs) And we'll find a way to get in touch with the family and send them those waffles. Our thanks to the team at Kubi Energy for getting us started on the right foot every Monday with positive reflections. The segment's nothing, though, without your submissions. This one sent to us by a viewer as well. Talk at ryanjesperson.com is where you can find us. We're back at it tomorrow morning. This week, a great lineup. We'll see you at 8.30 Mountain Time Tuesday on Real Talk.